I'm very excited today to speak with the head fencing coach at the University of California in San Diego, uh, Juan Ignacio Calderon. How are you today, Juan? I'm very well. And you, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, I want to, you know, kind of start with your personal history with fencing, um, mm -hmm. kind of your personal journey of how you got exposed to the sport, what made you interested in it, if you competed, kind of what that looked like for you. So can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? How much time we have? A couple of hours? <laughs> as much time as you need. So uh, I, you know, I guess mine is a typical story. I always watch fencing in the Olympics when I was a kid. Um, so I was always curious. I always thought, ah, I bet I could be good at this, but I didn't really know how to start. But I ended up starting um, when I was in high school. I was 15, I believe. And, and a friend of mine in the school, he was literally just bored, didn't know what to do one day, and started to flip the yellow pages, found a fencing club, and mentioned it to me at school and said, why don't you come and check it out? So I went with him. I signed up. He didn't. And basically started my, my fencing life in a small club in Madrid, in Spain, which is where I'm, I'm from. Okay, That's, that was the beginning. Then I immediately actually, like after a year, I started to coach at a club, just like um, recreational groups and so on and so forth as a way to pay for my, for my own fencing classes. And um, so I did that for a couple of years. Then my coach had an existential crisis and, you know, went to open a farm and moved to the countryside. <laughs> Uh, one of those things, and he actually recommended that I move to a different club that was the biggest club in Spain at the time. Uh, so I moved there, I started to train, really the national team was there all the time, uh, and I started to coach too. Uh, in that case, more like youth groups um, at the same time. It, on those days, it was a different setup. They were not really very experienced coaches around. That's why everybody was kind of fencing and coaching. So my coach, uh, was just like five years older than me. Okay. So it was funny that I was, he was coaching me and then I was trying to beat him on the competitions. He was the national champion, four-time Olympic, three-time Olympic, uh, an amazing, amazing coach. And, um, and what happened is that's in the 80s, Spain got awarded the Olympic Games of Barcelona in 92. Okay. That's now Asian history. Uh, and then that generation, the generation that was just ahead of me, they actually they hire international coaches, they move them away into a training center, and that created a vacuum. So I was left without a coach, and then I became almost a full-time coach because somebody was needed to take care of, you know, those type of, in this case, was a fairly large club. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of coaching, coaching, I kept competing. I did this in juniors, I was one I was a foilist, um, mainly in the top eight in the country for a number of years. Um, uh, but again, the needs of more coaching and less competing, you know, uh, took over. I use college coach, sorry, no, I use coaching to pay for my college, which was also really useful. And, uh, but at some point in time, I decided to focus on, on my career that I really studied in college. So I kind of disconnected for a few years. I moved actually to Germany, where I spent 15 years and I connected with a local club there, a very small club that they only did EPE and I was a foilist. So I said, ah, come on. So I, but I started to move into the dark side, which is the EPE side, right? To try to understand all those tactical elements, those mysteries of something that looks so simple. 
And it was an amazing club uh, that they only practice three times a week in a school gym, just, you know, moving the machines every day, every day time. And over the time that I was there, and I learned a lot from amazing coaches that they were there, they generated two junior world champions. Wow. In a school gym, three days a week. Yeah. Uh, and that was amazing. The, the coach, when I arrived, is uh, was Didier Lagnon, who is right now the, the coach of the Swiss EPI team. Uh, so I, I was with him a little bit at the beginning. And then there was a Spanish coach, actually, that came, a friend of mine, and then a Romanian. And when I had kids, then I stopped, really, because, you know, kids are very demanding. And then when they started to fence, then is when I went back in and I really deep dive into Epe, which became my other passion on top of her. Okay. Awesome. Then I moved, I moved to the US years later uh, with a company I was working with. I was in the technology world. Um, so they moved me here to San Diego, which is not a bad place at all. And I, my choices were, okay, I need a home that is in between a good school where I work and a fencing club. And I found a combination, the San Diego Fencing Center here. So I started immediately to help in the club. So getting back into coaching, helping a little bit more on a voluntary basis. Until years later, I actually um, had my recording about what I'm going to do in the second part of my life type of thing. And uh, I decided to actually take over the club. I quit my job, took over the club, and I started to grow it and, and, and make it a very good club. Uh, here in Southern California. And a year later, then I ended up having the opportunity to join the UC San Diego team as an assistant coach for EPE. And then uh, one year later, the head coach retired. I think that was her secret mission is to bring me in to show me the in and outs of the program to see if, if I would apply for the job. So I applied and I was fortunate enough to get the job. And that was, I guess, three years ago. So that's kind of the whole journey around the world a little bit and okay. how I ended up here. Awesome. So that's that's really interesting. So you were born in Spain, like you said, and kind of started coaching at the same time you started fencing, started learning the sport and competing. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really unique. So can you talk a little bit about um, what that experience was like? Maybe is that do you find that there's a difference in maybe um, the fencing culture in like Spain or you said you eventually moved to Germany or other places um, as mm -hmm. opposed to kind of what the culture is like in the U.S.? Yes. So, so the first part of your question, um, for example, right now at my club, uh, there's always an opportunity to get the slightly older kids to, to, to help coaching the younger ones. I think a lot of clubs do that, and, and that's really valuable because there's, sometimes that's how you learn to coach yourself. Mm. To have that discipline, you, you, you observe others, you see the problems, you see the opportunities, uh, you give them advice, and you learn to give advice, and eventually you end up learning how to give advice to yourself, which is one of the hardest things because you have the pressure that you yeah. put on yourself. So that was very useful. The, the fencing culture, it is different across different countries. Um, um, in Spain and in Germany, it wasn't so different. It's kind of a very strong club culture where, where you belong to that club and there's, there's a strong sense of belonging. There's a lot, for example, a lot more team competitions than there are here in, in the US. Okay. Here, I was always surprised in the US when you do team competitions, even in NACs and so on and so forth, except now for the national championships, you can do a mixed team with people from different clubs. That will not be allowed in most countries in Europe because that's that is strong identity with the, with the team culture. 
you get that team culture in some clubs. There are some clubs in, in, in the US, but there are so many clubs. There's many that really build that strong community and sense of loyalty. Uh, but you definitely get that precisely in college. The big difference when you transition in the US from club and you're having a relationship with your coach and then you pick and choose and you switch to this coach or to the other when you switch to college it becomes kind of that strong sense of belonging to something that is bigger than you yeah. okay so i would say in europe that happens a bit sooner already at the club level in most cases and in the us it happens uh, especially in college is is kind of the the big change that people need to adapt to and and the ones that do really 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 like it okay that's interesting. So can you talk a little bit about like, I mean, you, you're not new to coaching. You've been doing it forever since you started fencing. But can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, your beginning um, as a, you know, as a, a college coach and what challenges you faced, um, you know, maybe some some accomplishments that you had right away um, or whatever your experience was like kind of at that beginning. Okay, so uh, on the college side specifically, right? Yeah. Um, so so it definitely was a new environment to me and i think that was it was good that i entered the program as an assistant coach i think if, if i would have tried to go for the head coach i would have failed um because it's a very different environment um i mean with my other professional life in technology i'm used to a corporate environment where there's tons of rules and things how you need, you need to follow processes and so on so that's what i used to try to adapt but i i even if i knew that when I face it at, at the college level of an institution, in this case, it's a public institution for education, um, I had to really slow down and, 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 and acknowledge that there is a challenge. There's a lot you need to learn to actually manage it. That's why the job of a head coach um, is a lot more than just coaching. You really are a, a, a little manager that is managing everything. And at the same time, you have a um, in our case, 40 plus um, body of uh, students there that are in a critical moment of their life, that they are trying to grow as individuals, really go into the world, which is what makes it really interesting and motivating, but it's also full of uh, interesting moments too. So it's, 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 it's one of those jobs that is so complex and so fascinating at the same time that is you get really hooked into it. Uh, but yeah, it's... it's that's why if you, I think if you, when you talk to, you've already spoke to some of my colleagues, but you will find similar thing that, that, that connection, that complexity, but at the same time connection to, uh, to people, to fencers in this case, to student athletes that are in this critical moment of their life makes, makes it really unique. Yeah. Very unique. But you really need to take it seriously and prepare yourself and don't, don't come in an arrogant way saying, I know everything, I'm a super coach or not, or I'm been doing that. You need to really come in humble. Yeah. and learn your way in and that's what i really try to do be very humble i was also very fortunate that um part of the coaching staff that was there before my time um stayed with me okay uh, and that really helped me in the transition some of them are still here with me and they are helping and they make sure that i don't commit too many mistakes and and i think that's a model transition because Unfortunately, if you look at the history of many college programs, some of them have disappeared because they were dependent on one coach and then there was no natural replacement and the whole thing when the coach retired kind of goes down. So transitions in, co in college athletics needs to be looked at you know, very carefully. 
Yeah, that's a really important point, how, um, how critical it is to have a team rather than just one person that you're leaning on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you mentioned something that I wanted to kind of lean into a little bit more about creating a culture. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about more your specific style, I guess, of how you create culture, what kind of culture you're, you're creating and have created at UC uh, San Diego? Mm-hmm. So, so culture is actually, it's always one of our priorities every year. We, we talk, it's an evolving culture is how we want to take it from, you know, the program has been running for 51 years. So it has a long history, but it's really been evolving. When I engage with the alumni, you really see that the program looks completely different. It's certainly a lot more competitive now, but it's managing that transition. So there was always a strong sense of support, belonging um, uh, over the years. But what we've been trying to do is to make it a bit more exciting because we really felt that we had the opportunity to do a lot better athletically. Okay, the team had a good reputation. The school is very good academically. The team has been traditionally doing really well academically and providing good experience. But we wanted to see if we could really try to be a bit more ambitious. And we've been evolving the culture that way. We could have done like okay, try to just put the pressure in athletics and and try to focus only on that. And that would have been a mistake because then you break with your legacy uh, and you create an imbalance. So what we've been doing over the years is really trying to trying to do that, try to manage that transition, okay? And uh, one of the things we did in the first couple of years is to really engage with every single student athlete because some of them maybe were not so much ready to engage into trying to become more ambitious athletically. And we gave them ways to stay in the team and contribute in different ways uh, and make a personal choice versus you know the ones that really wanted to commit a bit more and you know train more and compete more. So we have an open conversation with them about what their personal goals were. Okay, so that helps us to transition without creating a crisis or something like this. Um, and 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 that's what we are evolving right now. We feel that we are starting to get that success. The results every year are getting better and better. Um, and and we we just want to you know we set up an ambitious goal that is. Is, is in reality is just an excuse, it's an inspiration. We want to be one of the top 10 programs in the country. And the only way we can objectively measure it is by how we finish at nationals. This year we finished seven, uh, which was a big accomplishment, uh, but being top 10 doesn't mean showing up once. And this year there were a few schools missing. Um, we were 13 for the last two years before, so we were fairly close, but our goal is not to show up once is to move in, move the furniture, establish the kitchen, live there. Okay. And we know that we're going to be in and out a few times until we achieve that. Once top 10 becomes whatever it is, but then we'll pick something else. The, in reality, the top 10, don't tell anybody, nobody's listening, is not important. Okay. It's not. The important thing is to provide an experience for the student athletes. And it, this, what we need to do is, we know the school already provides an amazing academic experience in college because we are a research institution, we have a great offering, it's a great school. So what we want to do in athletics is provide a matching experience so you can get both of it. And then the top 10 is an inspiring goal, okay, is the excuse. And once that becomes too easy, or maybe too, or if it becomes like we cannot really make it, we need to choose something that is still something you can aspire to that really provides that balance between the two sides of your life that you really care about and have that, that, that balance of being truly a student athlete, which is something unique. Okay, okay. 
Well, congratulations on the success um, this past year. You said that was, you know, a higher achievement than you've, the team has had in the past couple of years. So congrats on that. Um, let's talk about the, the past season a little bit. I know that things were challenging for everyone because of COVID-19 and um, mm -hmm. kind of how that affected things. So can you talk a little bit about maybe adjusting through that or navigating through that with your team? Yeah, I, I mean, it's no news to anybody that this has been a very uh, difficult year for every person in the planet. And uh, there's been a lot of suffering and, and we always need to understand how fortunate we've been. And we've been fortunate, I must say. Uh, well, uh, the school did a very good job helping us to see if on top we were fortunate and things were not going south that we could try to maximize our opportunities to have a good student athlete experience. So like most schools did, they made it optional to come back or not to campus. And in the case of athletics, they made it optional to come back or not to the team. 75% of the team came back, okay, which I was really surprised. And then um, really, again, the school did a great job providing a safe environment within what it was possible to define as safe. Okay, Because if you remember like a year ago, we didn't really know how this would actually work. And it was like a constant journey of discovery. Okay because we are a good research institution, a lot of science, actually the school really applied a lot of science to figure out how to do things. And we did all of our testing protocols and symptoms screening. They did some really cool things, although they sound a bit gruesome, like they were checking every building every day, residual waters to see if the virus was detected in the building because it shows up there a couple of days before you're actually able to transmit it to other people. And that was critical because then we were getting an email. It's like, if you've been in this building and you took your time to go to the restroom, um, you need to get checked before you, be, you can regenerate an outbreak. So that was really useful. And we didn't, the school didn't have any major outbreak. Okay. And whenever somebody from, from around the team, because we didn't have any student athlete that fortunately uh, got it, but if, if they were exposed to somebody, it, was all, it never really developed into anything which we were again, super fortunate. They, so the school did fantastic. We didn't know if we were going to be able to compete at all. So we were just holding to a thread of hope, saying we're going to the unknown. We just like to be here. We like to train with each other. No, no, no certainty. Let's just go through this. And we went and we went and we went. And then we started to figure out that maybe we can do a, a regular season competition um, in the winter. And we decided in the conference to do it at Air Force um, because it was the most flexible venue. They could literally host it every, any, any weekend. And we changed the date like seven times. And everything, seven changes of the schedule. Mm -hmm. And we kept delaying it, delaying it, delaying until all the schools on the West, we were comfortable that, yes, all the schools were going to go. And we also, it was a great lesson of collaboration because maybe if three schools could go, uh, and one couldn't go, we decided none, none, none goes. Until the four schools, we can really find a place to do it together, we don't do it. And we did it right at the edge of the clock. We did a fantastic um, competition in Air Force, was, they did a, fun, a really very good job. Uh, and uh, we ended up doing really well. We, we played there our conference championship, UCSD won both men and women. Uh, we qualified them people, like a full team of of 12 fencers to nationals, which was unbelievable. And that's how we finished seventh. We ended up with three All-Americans. So like a dream, okay, like a dream. But we knew that that little thread of hope could have been broken 
And we know that for many other schools and many other athletes and many other sports, even in our own school, the thread was broken. Yeah. So we, we know that we were fortunate. We were the first team in our school to leave the state for competition. Oh, wow. And that also, for me, I, I felt honor and, and I felt the pressure. <laughs> it's like, that's a big responsibility because we had a large team, but we were the first team in UC San Diego to leave California. Why was that? Uh... And we went, because it's a bigger, it's a longer travel. Okay. Is you were kind of the first ones getting into a plane. Everybody else was like in a, a small team, a couple of buses, drive close by with tons of measures. We were the first ones that we were given the opportunity to go pick up a plane and a bus and go to Colorado Springs to Air Force Academy and compete there. Uh, so yeah, just a series of things that ended up in the right place and will be you know, always thankful that we had that opportunity yeah and to, to our credit yes to put something else we did the best we could do out of it yeah and that's when i'm super proud of the team and we learn a lot about ourselves about other our about adaptability which is super important now what we are discussing with the team is because we're discussing our priorities for next year yeah funny enough we are talking about adaptability as well for next year because going back to normal, hopefully it's normal or, or close to, is an adaptation too. Yeah. Okay. Going back to in-person uh, classrooms, all of those things is going to be an adaptation. So we, you, now that we learn to adapt, we want to make sure that we keep that skill. Yeah. Moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you really just answered my next question, which was kind of what, what are your thoughts going into next season or some of your, um, some of the goals you have for next season? So, so I mentioned adaptability. That's one of them. Okay. I mentioned also culture, how we want to continue to be, have a stronger drive, more competitive in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. That's also part of the goals for next season. That, that, that's a journey that we continue to go. Um, then the other one that is new, uh, and I, but I think it's, a, it's, it's the outcome of everything that we went through this year, is the team decided to, to make wellness a top priority. Mm. Okay, and wellness understood as physical wellness, which normally as athletes is very important and we typically do, but also put extraordinary emphasis on mental wellness, mm -hmm. including psychological, social, and emotional. And that's super important because one of the things that was mainly put at test during the pandemic was actually mental health. Okay, and yes, maybe we kept ourselves away from COVID, but at the end of the day, this isolation is affecting us in our social life, emotionally and potentially psychologically so that's something that we want to acknowledge and that we really want to make sure that the team really looks after after everybody in the team uh and, and we really make sure that wellness is a priority that is okay to talk about any issues that you have and it's super important to leverage the help so this again the school i'm a broken record that's a pretty good job giving us a lot of resources to do these things but i'm really proud of the team um, because it was their idea that they really wanted to put wellness up there as a priority. Yeah. And our last priority, we always have like four, but that's kind of, that one is always there is, is we keep working internally on communication. We practice something called radical transparency. So we actually share everything with the students. In some, sometimes some coaches like to hide some stuff, not to tell them everything or no, not. We practice a culture of, there's, you know, we can tell you everything. You can ask any question. You know, if I take decisions, because sometimes I'll take certain decisions that maybe, you know, you're gonna fence less, you're gonna fence more, all those things. 
I explain them. I explain them and they have the right to know, no, just that they see on a paper that you're fencing this bout or not. You know, when, you know, the criteria, how we do it and the individual decisions and the decisions that are taken on the spot, we, we explain them and that helps, you know, to build that, the culture that we're really going after. Yeah. I think that's great. I think, um, you know, the point about wellness is, is especially important now, like you mentioned, um, especially with the sport like fencing, where it's so cerebral, um, you know, a lot of the athletes are, are introverted and may not necessarily always express what's on their mind or what they're feeling. Um, so I think that's really important that you, um, the team, you know, chose to include that in how they prepare and approach the season. Absolutely. Uh, so kudos to you for that. Um, I guess one other thing I wanted to kind of ask about is, you know, how do you prepare? How, what do you do in the off season? Like, how do you prepare for the next season as a coach? Um, where you're not necessarily preparing to compete, but you are, you know, considering what may happen with your athletes for the next year. How do you kind of approach that? So in when, let's say my daily life now is first, there's a lot of recruiting going on. Okay. And one thing that is important is this, what you and I, we are doing right here, the Zoom world mm -hmm. has changed recruiting forever. Uh, it has accelerated the process big time. I've spoken to a lot more people than any other year because of this. And it became very efficient. And here we can share documents, we can share things, we can really talk through, it's super convenient. Uh, and then in competitions, what we do is, you know, now that there are competitions, we say hello, we greet each other, and we focus more on observing defenses. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but, the, but talking during the competition is like noisy, hectic, you don't remember, you cannot take it the same quality of notes. So I'm doing a lot more just greeting and saying hello to everybody at the competition and, and evaluating them. And I'm doing this kind of a structured conversation here and it's proven to be a lot better and we can do a lot more. So that's happening. Then as a coach, what we do, what we're doing right now is um, every year we elect a whole uh, group of new captains. We have a lot of captain positions in this team because we want to share responsibility and give them opportunities to grow as well by what they do in the team. I have, let me see, I have two, six, it's nine captains plus a full communication team of four additional people that work on communications. That is, um, so we're talking about 13 positions of leadership. So we're doing lead planning as we speak right now and we do it very structured, okay? We plan what we are gonna do once we know the competitions uh, we plan every week kind of what are the goals for the week, what kind of things are we doing in the practices, everything. That's, that's very detailed planning and the captains are involved into that uh, planning process. We just as excited and they feel that they own it too. And then myself as a coach, what I take the opportunity is also to reach out to other coaches that I collaborate with. Uh, I have, again, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough as well that I collaborate a lot with the Spanish national team. Mm -hmm. Uh, my son happens to be there. He, he lives in Spain and he's part of the EPE national team. Uh, he's coming in today. I'm going to pick him up on the airport after a year. I haven't seen him. Wow. And, uh, and, um, and because of that relationship and I've been collaborating with the Spanish team for years, we, we exchange a lot of information. I'm part of a program that they have put together to train other coaches in Spain. Okay. Uh, so I help them to put the materials together because it's actually the materials that I leverage for my own program. Uh, and the Spanish national team has a collaboration with Italian, Italian national team. So, uh, so I've been engaging with Italian coaches too. Uh, and that's how basically I keep, I, I do a lot of that 
in this time frame where I can go develop materials, we do, we do videos, we do things that then are using those educational programs for, for coaches over there. And I get the opportunity to use them for ourselves. That's awesome. So you're staying busy. <laughs> oh, always. Always. That's great. Well, Juan, again, I thank you for your time and, um, you know, really interesting background, you know, um, so mm -hmm. I appreciate you being so open to share everything. Um, I wish you all the best for next season with the team. I wish your son all the best um, with the national team. Um, we look forward to talking to you again. Very good. Brian, thank you for doing this. It's a great new initiative. And I wish you all the, all, all the best. I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm, I know you're going to do great. And there will be even more interesting interviews than this one when you go around the country. Well, yes, hopefully. I look forward to the time where we can do this in person. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up Very that good. one. So thank you again, Juan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.